0: Hey, it's Pastor Mike. I want you to stay all the way to the end of this episode to hear more about a great podcast from Time of Grace. And now on to today's episode.
1: It would take one new discovery to change the world, to have an impact, and probably for the worse, and also in such a way that we could hardly imagine. Do you know what that discovery might be? it would cause so many buildings and properties to be repurposed and sold more than we've ever seen before it would cause schools and hospitals to change the way they function and countless charities to also be repurposed or maybe even cease to exist there would be a major reset in what people do for their job bigger than we've ever seen before even recently do you know what that discovery would be it would be finding a dead Jesus. You see, at Easter, we celebrate the fact that our Savior was not only killed on a cross and buried in a tomb, but that he on the third day rose from the dead, and that is most certainly a verifiable fact. Yes, there is an innumerable amount of evidences that point to the fact of Easter. And although it warrants discussion to talk about those facts, those historical bases, it would be important also for us to think about not only the eternal future that Jesus' resurrection gives, but the effects that it gives to our lives even here and now. Over the next few videos, I'd like to talk to you about the effects of Easter. That the Savior who rose from the dead doesn't just give us an eternity, although he does. He aims to bless every moment, yes, meet our challenges today and whatever is coming tomorrow. And what better place to start than to zoom out and to think about the world as a whole, or even our own worldview? As you look at the world around you, would you say that things are getting better and brighter, or are things looking a little bit more gloomy and dark? There's countless headlines, both locally, nationally and even worldwide, that lead us to shake our heads and grimace. This world is filled with hatred and anger, countless things that lead us to conclude that things are not getting better and brighter. This is a very dark world, and sometimes that really affects our reality in a, in a personal way. There was once this lady who was experiencing only darkness. It wasn't just the world around her which was broken in her day, but it was also this darkness that was infiltrating her heart and her mind. Her name was Mary, and as she looked at the world around her, everything seemed to be gloomy like a storm cloud that had come over the horizon and just set right over her. It affected the way that she thought, the way that she interacted with other people, and it even affected her heart and her soul. And maybe you know what that's like. Maybe you know what it's like to look at the world around you and maybe have dark thoughts. We can't always control the way that we think. It's the way that you interact with other people or even the way that you might think about yourself. You wish you didn't have any of these dark thoughts, but they happen time and again. Or maybe for you, it's depression. It certainly has been on the rise, the number of people who experience depression. And the other thing that's been on the rise is the amount of misunderstanding surrounding it. So whatever the symptoms may be, it's hard to get going in the morning to find purpose at your work and to find meaning and beauty in relationships or who knows whatever else As it's maybe unique to you. Then there's people in your life that are close to you that have no idea, that pretend to know, and so you feel like you're on an island and it. And it even feels worse. Or maybe it's an anxiety and fear. As you look at the world or your life, there's so much to be afraid of with no answer in sight. And the horizons look gloomy with storm clouds. That was the case for Mary. Until one day, Jesus came into her life and called her by name. And suddenly there was a ray of hope. And there was light from the sun itself breaking those clouds to give light that she otherwise didn't have. And she could see that this was for not not only her, but for others, as he released people from the darkness of blindness, the sort of darkness from being deaf, freed people from disease and sickness, and even raised people from the dead. Time after time, she could see that this wasn't just about him bringing blessings for the here and now, but also for eternity. And then something happened that changed all of that. Jesus was captured, wrongfully convicted, crucified, and as they pulled his lifeless body from the cross, they wrapped him up and put him in a tomb. Then suddenly, it was almost as if she could feel the thunder underneath her feet, the storm clouds starting to rise from the horizon, and those dark voices infiltrating her heart and mind once again. She's stuck in this gloom of depression, anxiety, maybe those things and maybe even more. This dark world pressing down upon her. All she wanted was some closure, to go and anoint his body with spices, a a practice of their day. So on that Sunday morning, she and some other women went to go find him, and the tomb was empty. The other women leave, and then there's a gardener. So she thinks. She just wants to know where he put Jesus' body. And she's grieving and crying, who knows what type of darkness is pressing down upon her suddenly. He calls her by name, same voice that she had heard before, Mary. And she knows it's Jesus. She says, teacher. And there is that light that she needed, the light not only for eternity, but a life to help her in that very dark moment right then and there. And there's one detail you really can't get around in this account. Of all the people that Jesus could have appeared to, it could have been nobility and kings, he could have ascended and appeared to thousands right there in the spot, he comes to this woman stuck in this dark moment. Why? Because there is no amount of darkness and no amount of insignificance that will ever keep the risen Lord Jesus from coming to people like Mary, people like me, and people like you. So no matter what it is, is it anxiety, Is it fear, depression, dark thoughts, a combination of those things, something else? The Lord Jesus rose from the dead to defeat the culmination of all of those things, that is death. And since he has the power over death and he comes to people like Mary, then most certainly he will keep his promise to come close to you. With every word of promise he draws near to help you in every need, no matter how dark. Yes, that benefit is for eternity, but it also is here to help you today and whatever is coming tomorrow. We all make mistakes in life, but some mistakes are bigger than others. There were once these two old friends that were sitting at a park bench, kind of your classic view of two old guys who've been buddies for a while. And they were talking about mistakes that they had made previously in life. And one of the guys had talked about mistakes, but he had mentioned them before. He had been harsh with his family and kids and said things he wished he could take back. He had once cheated at work, but he fessed up to it. It kind of cost him a bit, but it was a big blunder. There were mistakes that he made when he was much younger in high school and college. You might imagine what those might be. And then the other friend of his that was sitting right next to him was kind of quiet. And he said, you know... I've never really told you why I moved here. You see, it was when he was in his late 20s, he had moved and pretty quickly, these two men had been friends. And now here they are in their 70s as they have been friends for a long time. And just now, as they're sitting on that park bench in their 70s, a second friend says, I told you that I like the area. And that's true, but that's not all of it. I told you that I wanted kind of a new framework, a new circle of friends. I wanted to get out of there. And some of that's true but that's not the core of it. I told you that I wanted a new job, a new life, and that's true, but that's not really the reason. I made such a massive mistake and I was trying to run from it. And worse yet, I feel like I can't talk to anyone about it because I don't know how they're going to respond and I've never even told you about it. Have you made a big mistake in your life like that? One of those mistakes, it's not just a smaller one, it's a big one that you'd struggle to even talk to people about. You'd be really worried that even if you had a friend for years, maybe even decades, if you told them that your entire friendship would change. If you were to take a mistake, the biggest mistake you've ever made in your life, and you were to put it on a spectrum, one being, you know, you said some you called someone a meanie. And 10 being one of those major life-changing effect type of mistakes. Maybe some of the mistakes you're thinking about, where might they fall? Cl- close to 10? I'd like to introduce you to somebody who made one of those. His name is Peter. He was one of those close followers of Jesus. He was even in the inner circle. So when Jesus went to a couple places at times it only took a few of them, Peter was right there with him. You could probably Imagine this guy who was impetuous and bold. He's courageous and at sometimes fearless. Some of the things that he would say when others were quiet, you'd think, wow, there was one time he would even try to hop out of the boat and walk on water. He's pretty brave. Until one time. One time as it got closer and closer to when Jesus was going to be captured and crucified, You see, Jesus had told all of his disciples that they were all going to fall away. And bold, impetuous Peter stepped up and said, even if all of the others fall away, I never will. I mean, talk about courageous. He even throws his comrades under the bus and says, even if these guys do, I won't. And yet, that's exactly what happened. Jesus is captured in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then as he's taken away, Peter kind of follows at a distance. And then outside the place where Jesus was being interrogated and beaten, there was this fire. And Peter comes to warm himself by the fire. And they suddenly recognize him, including this little girl. And suddenly Peter isn't so courageous anymore. He denies even knowing Jesus. He even calls down curses from heaven, saying that he didn't know the man. And he does this three times, just as Jesus said he would. He did it the first time, he did it the second time, and right when he got done the third time, they led Jesus, whom they had captured, out. And it kind of pictured Jesus looking over his shoulder and locking eyes with Peter for a good second or two. It could be described as the greatest I know that you know that I know that you know moment as Peter now looks at Jesus and sees that he knows. And Jesus looks at Peter and sees that he knows, that he knows that he knows. knows. Call that a big mistake, huh? Not only to deny Jesus and call down curses, but but then for Jesus to even see it and how heartbroken he must be. The scripture says that he went out and wept bitterly. One of those moments when you just wanna be alone, you don't wanna see anyone, you're crying, you're weeping, you're just letting it all out. I think we've all been there. What do you do when you think about the mistake that you've made or mistakes you've made in your past, those big ones? Where would you put those on that spectrum? Where would you put Peter's? Was it something that affected countless people that were close to you? It hurt your spouse, your children. It maybe hurt your job. People that respected and even trusted you. You wish you could just hop back in time. Go back and relive that day. You didn't anticipate all the trouble that it would bring. You wish you were wiser. You wish you knew then what you knew now. but, But you can't. So where do you put that mistake? Is it seven, eight, nine, is it, is it a 10 size mistake? Or maybe you're even the type that thinks, and I've, I've talked to people like this who say, no, a 10 scale is t- still too small. I got like a 15 size mistake. You know what Jesus does for people like that? Jesus died and was buried and he rose from the grave on the third day. He appeared to his disciples, including Peter, that first night, and he sent them to Galilee. That's where Peter was from. He was a fisherman on that lake in Galilee, north of Jerusalem. And then he came and appeared to the disciples again. And he came up to Peter and he says, do you love me? And he asked him three times. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. And it's at this moment that we might think this is is where Jesus could say, uh, I'm asking you three times, Peter, just like you denied me three times. Like this is the time when we get to experience the worst fears that we have about our mistakes and fessing up to them. We get to finally face the recourse for them. But that's not what Jesus gave to Peter. He says, do you love me? And he asked him three times, but he would also say, and feed my sheep. You see, Jesus came to give peace and forgiveness through his rising from the grave. He died on the cross to pay for all of our sins and to prove that that payment was enough, he was raised on the third day. So forgiveness is the fact that we carry with us, not only in eternity, but right here and now today and tomorrow. Forgiveness, yes, even for those massive mistakes. If Jesus died to pay for the sins of the world and he is most certainly God, then that is big enough to cover over our greatest blunders. That's what Jesus gave to Peter. (laughs) That's what he gives to us. So go back to those old timers. I got to meet them a long time ago during my summer job. These two guys found out that I was training to be a pastor, so they thought it was a safe place to describe this story of, of how they got to meet and even to talk about these big blunders from their past. And that second friend, he said, yeah, I ruined my marriage. I've lost my kids. I lost my job, and my family wants nothing to do with me, and it's all my fault. But you know what I said to my friend? I told him everything that I did. And you know what he said to me? He said, the first time ever in my life I heard these words, you know you're forgiven, right? And he wasn't just saying that about a feeling. He wasn't just saying that about, about, about a notion. It was a fact based in the resurrection of a savior who died to pay for our sins and rose to prove that we stand before God forgiven. So although we may feel the ramifications of our mistakes, now, those ramifications will never follow us into the future. Because Jesus paid for our future, He is even with us to remind us that we are forgiven, right here, right now. I once watched George Washington cry Now just saying it that way, you're thinking that that's not possible, but let me explain. I was a a little kid, and I watched a family friend of ours take out a quarter. And sure enough, right in front of my eyes, he rubbed it on his arm, and George Washington cried. I kid you not, droplets were hitting the floor, and of course, even as a little kid, as gullible as I was, as all children are to a certain degree, I still asked how did that happen? What did you do? Because even as a gullible child, I still found that hard to believe. And not just because it was George Washington in a quarter, but because seemingly out of nowhere, there were tears. There was water. Well, do you know what this family friend did? This family friend had put a paper towel that he had soaked behind his ear. So as he made sure to face me, I couldn't see that. And so he took the quarter and rubbed it on his arm as he was gathering water up here. Good old distraction technique. And then he took the water as he flickered the quarter in my face. And he put it on the quarter and then kind of wrung it out so George Washington would would cry. He made a quarter cry. And he got me. But I knew even as a kid that when you look at something that's really, really hard to explain and you're looking for a lot more proof, we find it hard to believe even when we're seeing it. And then in life, you collide with things that you can't even see. It's especially pertinent when we think about Easter. If only Jesus who rose from the grave could appear to us to show us his hands inside, in the flesh, even give us a high five so that we could finally see. Because once you see, then things are a lot easier to believe. That's very important when we think about all of the blessings that Easter gives us. Because for all that we know about Easter, one thing we don't have, we don't have visible evidence right in front of us per se, And I say per se, because that's kind of how we function today, right? If if we want to learn about a story and actually believe what happened, we want to see the video. We, We want to see the post. We want to see the picture. We want to make sure that it wasn't edited or clipped. We want to see the photo before the Photoshopper got their hands and their magic wand on it. When we want to believe things that we weren't there for, we want to see as much visible evidence as possible. And so it's easy for us to assume or easy for some to assume, that since we weren't there to see the resurrection, therefore it's hard for us to believe it. That's exactly where this man was I'd like to talk to you about. A man by the name of Thomas. Now, we don't even just call him Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas. And you want to know why? That first Easter Sunday, Jesus appeared to ten disciples. Judas was gone, Thomas wasn't there, He appeared to the other 10, and when Thomas came back, the other disciples said, we saw him. And Thomas says, "Mm -mm, not gonna believe it. Not unless I see it with my own eyes. I wanna be able to see the nail marks in his hands and where the spear went into his side, and unless and until I see it, I won't believe it. And we can relate. We can give Thomas a bad name for doubting what he didn't see, but then again, who hasn't said or thought that at times? But you know what's really important to think about is the ramifications of doubt. It's important to think about how we function when we are encouraged to doubt things that we can't see. And that's very true for our lives in this world today. To be skeptical and maybe even cynical, doubtful about people and places and events And we are very much encouraged by many worldviews when you approach someone new or something new or something that sounds strange to be be wary and doubtful of it. But a lot of that goes unchecked. In other words, think about the logical flip side of that coin. Since we are encouraged to be wary and even doubtful of others, what makes us so sure that we should be? Healthy skepticism is one thing, but... Unwarranted and unbridled skepticism is another. In other words, what if we were encouraged to doubt the reason for our doubts? What is it that makes us so skeptical? What type of evidence might we be looking for? What type of proof would we want to see? If we ask those kinds of questions, then, Mare suggests we would find that just as there are so many other historical events that we weren't there to see, but we wholeheartedly believe, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is most certainly up to the task to meet, if not exceed, those events as well. In addition, think about one other ramification. Not only do doubts often go unchecked, but doubts also leave us with a less than hopeful reality. I mean, what happens when you're so doubtful and and skeptical of whatever it is that people, even those closest to you, might suggest? That's what happened with Thomas. Thomas was left with a whole week of his friends telling him that Jesus rose from the dead. It wasn't until a week later, that next Sunday, after Easter Sunday, that Jesus finally appeared to Thomas. So what did that leave Thomas in that whole time? It led him to wrestle with his doubts. That's wrestle with his fears. And God allows us to wrestle with our doubts and our fears. And that's natural to our faith. I I can't think of anyone who ever had faith and never had a single doubt doubt naturally accompanies and even attacks our faith at times. And it's okay to ask questions about that, but to be stuck with those questions and no answers? Look no farther than the way that Jesus responds. He appears to Thomas and gives him something quite profound. First words out of his mouth, peace, peace. And he calls Thomas over to himself and he says, stop doubting and believe look at my hands and look at my side. God does not desire that we would be lost in the darkness of our doubts, to be stuck with our skepticism and our cynicism. He knows that that's not a a bright place for us to be. And so he has an answer. And that answer is to draw close to us through what? Through evidences, yes, but also through his words of peace. What are we left with if all we have are doubts about everything that Jesus said and did? And those doubts may arise, everyone has them, but God is not without giving answers. And his answers to the affirmative are that Jesus most certainly died to pay for our guilt and rose from the grave to give us peace that is unparalleled, it will never run out. But that peace is not only meant for some day in eternity, it's meant for the here and now. Yes, Jesus has an answer to our doubts. Look no farther than his words of promise. He gives us forgiveness, the answer to our worries and our skepticism. That was true as he drew close to Thomas. It is true for us. No matter what the doubts might be, there are answers. But no matter what the hopelessness might be, there is peace. Look no farther than the empty tomb to give you everything that you need for today, and yes, tomorrow. Could your life use more meaning and purpose? I was talking with a friend recently who was considering a major career change. I've actually had several friends along the way who've considered this. And not just doing the same thing in a different place, but doing something totally different. Something that they've never done before. One friend recently said, I don't know if I should start a farm, drive a truck, or try to become a lawyer. Those are not all the same thing, which tells you where he was in life. But he explained the reasoning behind it when I asked him, why? Why are you considering this? He said, I just feel like there's something missing that I need to pursue more. It's not like I've climbed the top of the ladder, so to speak, where I'm at. But I just feel like I need something that, that gives me more drive, some, more meaning, more purpose in my life. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you are there. Whether you picture a ladder or climbing a mountain or a hill, there's something that you would like to chase that gives your life meaning. And that doesn't just have to be relegated to a job. It can exist at home, in your marriage, as you parent children, in your friendships, maybe something that you're battling inwardly. In so many ways, we would answer that question, I would think. Could we use more meaning and purpose? I don't think we would ever say, no, I'm, I'm done, I'm good. Meaning and purpose are are blessings from God, things that give us drive and zeal, benefit and happiness. Unless of course we're going after that in the wrong way. I think that's what my friend was struggling with. In fact, he admitted it later on. And he's not the only one to struggle with that too. There's this common worldview that as long as you are climbing some type of corporate ladder or reaching new levels of success, hitting certain mile markers, reaching certain levels with relationships, then that is the litmus test or the criteria by which you can say that your life has meaning and purpose. That is your identity. Although that's very common in our day, it's not always entirely helpful, as was the case for a man by the name of Saul. You see, Saul was at the top of his game. He was respected by all of his peers He was very well educated. When he opened up his mouth to speak, to give an idea, people listened. They stopped what they were doing. And he had zeal and drive too. He was pursuing new regions. And he even thought that he was serving God as he was zealously carrying out his plan. It just so happened that he wasn't, and he was going about everything the wrong way, and even fitting the paradigm of the world, which looks for success and the heights of pride. And those things are identifiers of a a positive identity, a purpose and a meaning. And he thought he was after and even getting those things. Until, of course, the resurrected Jesus changed all of that. Jesus appeared to Saul while he was on the road to meet new heights in success, to find new purpose and meaning. And he made Saul, which means great, to become Paul, which means small. And although Paul became small, maybe not just in name, but also in the eyes of the world, he would actually find true greatness that's not found in that drive to find success and new levels of identity in this life. Jesus said, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And Paul would even later admit in this very popular chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he would say, "'If all we have to hope for is this life, "'we are to be pitied more than all people.'" Christ has indeed been raised. So even though Paul was taken away from those heights of success, respect and prestige, prominence among even his peers, God gave him an identity that is far greater and it is not tied to the circumstances of this life and the platitudes of success which are always a false summit. No, instead it is tied to the fact that Jesus died and rose and he gives us blessings for eternity and even here and now. So where did Paul find his identity, his purpose, his meaning? Not in a job change, not in success, not in that drive, not in anything in this world which can make us feel like things are going well, but but will never be enough, and not to mention can all be taken away from us in a heartbeat. Instead, he found true purpose, true meaning in serving the Lord Jesus, in sharing with people that God has given us forgiveness, a peace that knows no end, and a life that has no bounds. And that's not just something to be realized in the future, that it gives us purpose and meaning right here and now. Imagine dear parents out there. If you recognize that your parenting and the success of your parenting doesn't rest on how well you do it every single day, what a burden that is, but rather that God has freed you from all your guilt and he loves you and has given you the status of his own dear child. It frees you from guilt and it actually gives you less resentment and more joy as you deal with your children. Imagine, dear employer or employee, as you tackle that job, dealing with those people around you, if you viewed life entirely differently, instead of trying to chase that endless rabbit, that false summit that you will never reach, instead of viewing life as though success is only found there when you reach that but rather that God has already given you everything, even in eternity right here and now. It frees you from the rat race. And of all the callings that you have in life, of all the hats that you wear, God gives you incredible meaning in this reality. Easter still has an effect today and tomorrow. That the Lord Jesus comes to you. He tells you that your eternity is already secured, that there's nothing you could do to make him love you more, and that frees you to love and to serve, yes, with zeal, not because you have to accomplish it all to prove that you are successful, but because his success is already yours. How many people would it take to give you the help that you need? There are some of us who don't really like or maybe even want any help, we're, we're good. That's not true for everybody. If you were struggling with anything. How many people would it take? What is the number? Throughout this series, we've talked about anxiety, the darkness of depression, and even evil thoughts. We've talked about doubt and skepticism, fear and worry. We've even talked about having a wrong identity and finding purpose and meaning in life. And there are a whole host of other things that we could be struggling with. Physical ailments. It could be relationships that are on the rocks. Whatever it is, dealing with mistakes that we've made that are massive, whatever it is, how many people would it take? Pick a number. People who were there, who showed up, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally showed up for you, what would be the number? How many people would it take to give you the help that you needed? I talked with somebody recently, a friend of mine in our church, and he said, I could go for just two. Just two people to give me the help that I need at work, to understand what's broken about the systems, and at least to be there to encourage. So when we're dealing with challenges, which everyone does, at least we could be there together, and I didn't feel alone. I talked with a lady in my church a long time ago, but I vividly remember her telling me I could go for one person in my life who would never let me down, just one person, because whether it was her parents, her siblings, her spouse, Or her children it was one disappointment after the next and she could just go for one but notice i said how many there's no limit what would that be for you well i'd like to introduce to you a bunch of people and we have no idea what their names are no idea at all but they're in the bible and they're specifically mentioned and i'm convinced they're mentioned in order to give us this broader encouragement because they like us need the benefits of the resurrection too in fact that's exactly what the bible tells us when jesus died and rose from the grave scripture tells us in 1 corinthians 15 that he appeared to peter and to the 12 and also to 500 others 500 others Now, why does the Bible tell us that? Well, first and foremost, Jesus appeared to 500 others at a time when a lot of people weren't convinced that Jesus was legit. And then all of a sudden, what do you see throughout the known world at that time in the Mediterranean region? People that didn't believe, but then suddenly believed that Jesus died and rose. Well, what would account for that change? People who would even be willing to be persecuted and never renounce their faith. They would even rather die than deny jesus what could account for such an effect in their life well the fact that jesus most certainly appeared to them and not just to a select few to 500 others 500 other people just like that man i mentioned just like that lady i mentioned just like me and just like you who who need other people to bring to us the benefits of the resurrection. Think about it this way. Sociologists will tell us that we cannot have an innumerable amount of friendships. We have a capacity. In fact, the most socially gifted among us, I think the last time I read about this, it was about 190 friendships we could have. People that we can kind of keep tabs on. As an illustration, there are hundreds of people in my church but I can't be that point person for all of them. In fact, when pastors think that, it's, it's very unhealthy. You just can't, we're not socially made to have, let's say, 500 close relationships. We just can't do that. But now take that coin and flip it upside down. Imagine if there were 500 people in your life who, although you couldn't be that point person for all of them, they were ready To be there for you. So they can only, let's say, have 150 people that are their close friends. But for all of those 500, they come to you to encourage you. Now, I know the numbers don't work out perfectly, but I bring that up because I'm convinced that's why God told us, at least partly, why there were 500 others. Not just to kind of double down on the proof that Jesus most certainly rose and appeared to countless people whose lives and even beliefs were changed, but so that we would have this benefit of knowing that there is this great crowd around us of people who are meant to be part of that, well, we'll call it the 500. So go back to that question I asked you, how many people would it take? According to the scriptures, let's say there maybe isn't 500 other people, but there are certainly other people that God has put in your life people who also share this hope that you have, that you're forgiven, that the resurrected Jesus comes to bring light even in those darkest moments and those most gloomy days. That there are people that God has put in your life to speak truth, his truth to you, in a world filled with confusion. That God raising his son from the dead brings to you forgiveness, and that is a fact for you right here and now. That is something that people are meant to proclaim to one another by virtue of Jesus rising from the dead, even in the face of your biggest mistakes, you are forgiven. 500 others. I don't know who that might be in your life, but what I do know is that the flip side of that coin is that you are also meant to be that for other people too. And since Jesus most certainly rose from the grave, he has wonderful, eternal blessings in store for you and for so many more. But those blessings aren't just to be realized in the future, although they will be. They are for us right here and now. For us to share with the people around us. So maybe for you, there is that person who lies in the dark. Who rests in hopelessness and despair. And maybe you get to be one of those 500 others for them.
0: Thanks for making it all the way to the end. I promise you a quick look at another podcast from Time of Grace that I think you'll like. It's a really fresh look at the Bible from my brother in Christ, C.L. Whiteside. But rather than listen to me again, here's a sample clip from C.L. himself. There's this reoccurring theme on social media that I've been seeing on Instagram, on, on Twitter, on TikTok. And that theme is, do whatever makes you happy. Man, that, like I look at that, that's super dangerous to say. And I know what people really mean, though. They really mean is do what makes you happy as long as it doesn't bother me or it doesn't bother someone else that I I care about. And why I say that's silly is because like our sinful nature, the desires of our flesh will have us happily destroying ourselves. And what's eye opening? What's just fascinating is that the happiness we think this stuff of this world will bring us like it really doesn't last. Most people aren't going to tell you that truth. Most things on social media don't portray that. It seems like it lasts forever, but it doesn't. Join me, CL White Tide, on my podcast, The Non-Microwave Truth. Search The Non-Microwave Truth wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.